Welcome to Excellent Culture's podcast highlights. In this interview, we visit with Jack Collis, Group Vice President of Marketing at Toyota USA. You'll quickly note that Jack is an excellent leader with a background in professional baseball and is currently leading the Toyota Global Sponsorship Platform at the Tokyo Olympics. Jack first engaged Excellent Cultures when he led the Scion Division and then again with the National Marketing Division at Toyota USA. The success of the culture transformation with the Scion Division produced number one in Toyota employee satisfaction, and the Marketing Division project resulted in an 81% improvement in culture, driving a 2% increase in market share in only 18 short months. As you listen to Jack's passion about business culture, you'll see why his leadership of the Excellent Cultures process has produced such powerful business results. Tell us a little bit about Scion and how uh, the changes with Toyota and and Scion came to be. Where did Scion come from, Jack? Scion really came, so Scion started um, 10 years ago. Matter of fact, this summer is our 10-year anniversary, and uh, really excited to say that I was, from day one, I was actually the, uh, I had a unique consultant role. I was kind of, the, I was the assistant to the CEO at the time that Scion launched. So I learned all about the tennis of Scion and what we wanted out of it. It came out of a project of both our CEO, which at the time was Mr. Yoshi Inaba, and then at that time, which was the head of the Toyota division, a gentleman by the name of Jim Lentz. I've worked for Jim now most of my 21 years. Uh, he was my general manager in San Francisco region. And at that time, it was um, a chance when I worked for him to, to learn about innovation, how to innovate, how to take what is normal on a daily basis and, and, and consider what could be made new. He started that with Yoshinaba on Scion. I happened to be a part of the start of it. And so Scion, well, like I said, been around for 10 years and was set out to become not so much a youth brand, which a lot of people think it was set out to be. It was, it was to become an innovation lab for Toyota so that we could try new and kind of creative, innovative things that would challenge the status quo and really um, ask, why do we do things? And, but with an attention towards youth. And so uh, five years ago or so, yeah, wow. Yeah, I guess it'll be yeah, five and a half years ago. They gave me the opportunity. Uh, the company had enough trust in me, I guess, and I, I hope I, I hope I did it justice. But they trusted me to to run that division, and it was quite a blessing to be a part of an innovation lab for five and a half years, where it really allowed me to challenge my own thinking, but most of all to build a team exactly the way I wanted to within a large culture. You know, Toyota's a big company; it's a big global company, number one in the world, but to take a small group of people and create an, almost a kind of a subculture within it, it was really um, both a challenge, but one of the most fun and exciting, um, inspiring things I've ever had, I've had a chance to do. Well, uh, one of the things that has really impressed me about Jack as a leader, as I mentioned early in the show, is, you know, when, we're, when you've been in the business of helping businesses build high-performance cultures for 36 years, typically you think that business leaders call a professional services organization when they have a culture problem. And the fact is, it's just the opposite. I mean, most of our clients are people like Jack who have a high performance culture already, and they're looking for the cutting edge of how to take it you know, to the next level. And those are guys that care about culture, realize the value of it. And what I thought was important for Jack to share with our listeners is kind of his vision for a culture of ethics, values, and employee engagement, 
and how he was able to establish it at Scion and, you know, build the kind of a culture that he did at Scion that I think, as I remember, Jack, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of right in the middle of our take the Scion culture project to the next level, uh, Scion was selected based upon the uh, Toyota all-employee survey as one of the best, if the not the best, uh, employee satisfaction culture in the company. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I, we, uh, we have our own internal associate opinion survey, and um, I was really very proud, very um, glad to say that our team over the four years before we met up with Excellent Cultures, we were we have been progressing each and every year to the point where by the time we started with Excellent Cultures, we were, I don't know if we were actually number one or if we were tied for number one, but we were at the top of the, of the food chain at Toyota. But that, to me, wasn't the point. The point was not being number one on our own team, which was, do we really have a culture? Do we really have a feeling, an emotional connection to working with one another in a true team atmosphere? And my decision was at that moment, no. While we were doing fine in comparison to others, it didn't feel like we were doing as good as we should be, where the engagement and people just get excited to run to work and do their best and then run home to be the best they could for their families as well. I, I just see, I felt like we needed more growth, and that was why we uh, reviewed many companies and we went with excellent cultures that we thought was the exact right choice, and to this day I still agree is the right choice. Yeah, well, so tell us, thank you for the compliment, but uh, tell us a bit about, I mean, what's your vision for a culture of ethics, values, and employee engagement that leaders who who aspire to have the best in the world like you have proven that you were, you know, you and your team were able to do when you were leading Cyan, you know, what what should they think about? What should they look for? What should their vision be? You know, I, I, I'm going to have to step back a half a second and just make sure the audience kind of knows one thing about me, and that is that I I come from a, a belief system that that really – you know, I can only control so many things that I that, that that I can work my. I'm in charge of my attitude and my effort. Okay, and I really feel strongly that that's all that I can control is my attitude and my effort. No one person can make the end all happen, and I, I think it's important that because that's the structure behind my ideal culture. Is the ideal culture is that you can control what you can control, which is your attitude and your effort. Yeah, the rest of it is not in your control. And I wanted a team that understood that what all I was asking for was for them to come to give the organization and each other, the person I always talk about, the person on your right and on your left. And as your person on your right or left, are they getting the best from you? And we can go to biblical statements about loving your neighbors as yourself. or But ultimately it comes down to relationships. And I believe the culture is if you can develop a team that believes that their work is to encourage every person around them that the performance will take care of itself. Because when you are focused on doing the best you can to help your teammates, the, and the net result is increased performance. You don't pursue increased performance. You pursue the attitude and effort about helping one another. And that's truly what my ideal vision of, a, of ethics values, because it becomes the natural. It becomes a, it, it's easy. Kind of an outgrowth of who you already are. It's who you are. And yeah. I think the engagement comes from that when you really are focused more on the other people on your team and helping them accomplish goals than to be focused on your on yourself and your own personal goal. Well, uh, Jack, I've I've been been a fly on the wall or actually sitting in the back of the room when I've heard you speak, you know, to your teams before and just uh, unabashedly share that your philosophy in life is that you love God, you love people and you love to compete. 
and yeah. and it's not you know and it wasn't a uh, a religious speech it was about performance and teamwork and what you just said i mean your philosophy about how can we work together to help each other be the best that we can be and focus our energies on you know serving each other which boils down to ultimately serving our customers and you know you you pull it off and you pull it off time and time and time again and uh, i've noticed folks around you who may be of a totally different faith persuasion than you, but not a faith or no faith persuasion whatsoever uh, that really enjoy the culture and the philosophy that you create because it's all about the people and all about winning and winning together and not at the expense of each other. What a way to go. You know, wow, man, you you took some, you took some notes that love God, love people. That's my family's motto. It's my motto in life because I think when, when you are loving people, people see that it's not only see it, it's, it is authentic. It is transparent. And when you're not authentic and when you're not transparent, it's hard for people to trust you. And if you're not going to get trust, you don't get buy-in. If you don't get buy-in, you don't go anywhere. So I really look at it as it's never a religious speech. It's not about the religion. It's about the fact that that's to the core of how I'm built. But I want to share it in such a way that we as a team understand that we have not only, not only have each other's backs, but we have the belief that we want to see the other people succeed. And by doing so, when everyone's doing that, everyone succeeds beyond, you know, beyond one plus one equals two. Yeah. You know, Synergy and, and takes over. I really get excited about the opportunity to build teams. It's probably the thing I'm most passionate about is how we do that so that things like ethics and values or morals or beliefs, they don't become necessarily discussed because it's just a natural outcome of doing the right thing. So, Jack, t- tell us about wh- where have you seen, you know, and you're, you, you've been around a lot of big companies and, you know, Toyota does their business through a whole network of, of dealerships and, you know, entrepreneurial businesses. And some of them are Fortune 500 conglomerates. Uh, you've been around a lot of businesses in your career. Where have you seen, uh, you know, these uh, value systems of, you know, cultures of ethics, values, and employee engagement start to deteriorate? I mean, what are some of the trouble signs that our listeners should should look for and watch out for? Unfortunately, I think trouble signs are everywhere all the time, and it's how to it's how to recognize them you know, quickly and, and and start to change them because the deterioration I think is usually starts with the attitude that either a person like like an entitlement where a person believes that they you know, deserve something. As soon as you start to think you deserve something, you tend to be self-focused versus team-focused. And that to me is always when I hear someone say something like, well, why didn't I get? Or how come I didn't get? Or anything like that. That tends to be where I've seen things deteriorate because it becomes contagious because the first time that person starts saying about, well, what about me? And says it out loud, other people start to say, well, then what about me? And the what about me philosophy is probably the most frustrating thing where I've seen deterioration occur. And um, throughout every organization we've had at Toyota, one of the things I'm proud about being at Toyota is it seems like those people who go, what about me, tend to be noticed quickly and moved or let's say challenged in their thinking to bring them back on board. So that's that's one. One is the what about me? I think if I had to think about it. An, another one is when we we kind of don't know what we're focused on. Like 
we don't know, like when there's not been a good explanation of where we're going from a vision or, or from a kind of a goals perspective. And I've seen it in several different times throughout um, a company um, where if the if, if really where the priorities are not defined, it's very difficult for people to stay connected or stay focused. And um, I just think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't call, call it so much goal oriented, but it is priority focused where you know the top say five I my number is always five and every year I have the five priorities and usually two or three of them stay the same and one or two of them change but I think the second that, that you know just to reiterate the second thing would be is when we really just not knowing or not focused on the priorities and that, that that's where deterioration comes in pretty quickly so watch out for the what about me and the what about me attitude and the what about me mindset and uh, clear in specific specific fuzzy priorities yeah, you know, let me, and even as you said them back, I, I think there is a third one. And and that's really where people, I don't know where it starts from, but when there becomes a fear or a delay in speaking candidly about their opinion or feelings, when there is a culture or when I see the deterioration is when sometimes, whether it's a manager or, or whatever level it is, where their people working for that person can't speak candidly, that is one of the ones that can de- can deteriorate a culture or an organization extremely quickly. Uh, I'm thankful that I haven't really had to deal with that um, too often, but I have seen it a couple times in my career where a manager wasn't allowing their people to really speak their mind or cutting them off because either they felt like the manager knew more or just didn't want the opinion. And, and that, shuts people down so quickly, and that's a cancer that cannot uh, be allowed to spread. In all our 36 years of working with high-performance organizations and helping them, you know, go from good to great or, you know, uh, medium to awesome, that's the biggie. I mean, that that perspective where people are withholding their, their true feelings, their true opinions – for whatever reason, and it could be fear, it could be politics, it could be a lot of things, but uh, man, oh man, uh, if, if, if you've got that going on in your organization, and typically the leader is the last one to know it, uh, but if you've got that going on in your organization, uh, get after it and get after getting all the help that you need to change it quickly because it will deteriorate a high-performance team faster than anything you can imagine. Jack, t- tell us... Um, you know, your, your perspective on, you know, whenever you've seen that start to come up in any of the cultures you've been around or any of the, you know, leaders that you've coached, what advice can you give to a leader that you know, spots it and says, whoa, you know, I, I saw that happening in my organization last week. What do they, what, what should they do? I will. I, well, boy, <laughs> you're asking one of the toughest questions. And I, I wish to tell you that I, that um, I'm, capable or equipped to be able to do that. I will tell you what I have done that has been effective for me, but I think a lot of that has to do with your own personal commitment. Is it, is it really important to you as the leader to make that change? Is it really important to you, the leader, to allow for freedom of conversation, opinion, risk-taking? Because you almost have to look in the mirror first. So my first suggestion, what I've done is always look in my mirror. Am I causing this kind of... <laughs> um, Fear, because a lot of times it does start with the leader. Even though the leader doesn't really think it and doesn't really isn't really aware, a lot of times it's coming from the leader. And I, I have to be careful of that because I, I love people. And I get excited and I start moving and we start doing stuff. And then sometimes I've learned my and, and people have told me 
you know, you, you, you kind of going down a path and we're, you're so confident in what you want to accomplish that we're not so sure we should try to derail that by bringing up a different kind of comment. So first is kind of self-look yourself in the mirror. The second one is I truly believe, depending on the size of your organization, that you as the leader, if it's you not causing it, or whether it is or not, you need to be able to talk to your employees directly and allowing them to air that out and say, you know, and kind of help to, um, if you want to say evaluate or investigate where that blockage is coming. Because usually the blockage is coming from only one or two individuals. It's usually not the organization. It's one or two. And if you can root that out, it's not a problem because it's not about getting upset with an employee. It's about can we talk to that employee about, hey, why are we having a difficult time, you know, allowing people to talk? But that's a very personal, right? I mean, every leader is different in how they want to talk to their team. I like the one-on-one, have the conversation, where is this coming from, and kind of source it out myself. I would just simply say to his encourage is that as many of your listeners are probably, you know, a lot of times you have to kind of go through, you know, finding out that either you yourself have made the error or that something you've done has caused somebody else to err. And when you can admit that, hey, man, maybe I was part of the you know, causing this, even though I didn't want to, I just was. When you can kind of admit that, I think there's a freedom that says I'm still learning. I'm still in process of how I'm going to be a better leader. And the best leaders, I think, are the ones who can admit that, and I just, I didn't mean to screw it up, but I sort of screwed something up, and now I want to fix it. And when you can do that self-assessment, I think you can immediately make changes. And the organization sees that as, again, not only transparent, but like you're honestly caring about what you're going to do as the leader when you can admit, man, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I really didn't mean to cause it this way. And I, it's tough to do, but I, I think I, maybe because I've made a lot of errors, I've learned to do it more. Well, what anytime I've seen it, it's 90% of the time, it's not, it's totally unintentional. I mean... Leaders don't realize that they're causing that. It just it just kind of happens, and for a lot of different reasons. Some of them from the mindset that people brought with them when they came to the game. Some of it the leader's style. Some of it experiences, history. Who knows? A zillion different reasons why is not as important as address it, recognize it, and change it. And uh, I can remember one time that uh, I was coaching a CEO of a you know a very large you know twenty thousand employee privately held firm. And his motto was, you know, robust dialogue. That's what he wanted his team to be, you know, throw it on the table, tell it like it is, deal with it. But then when we gathered the scientific data to find out what was really going on, first he looked at it and thought, well, that can't be us. But when we did confidential anonymous interviews with executive teams, uh, you know, with his executive team, their, their feedback was, well, what he calls robust dialogue is really robust monologue. <laughs> and, and it wasn't it wasn't anything intentional. The guy was just such a dynamic personality that and just like you said, got going so fast and had so many creative ideas and so much wisdom. He was such a good follow me. I'll get it done kind of leader that uh, it was squashing people's opinions and they didn't want to slow him down. And I can easily see how that happens. The one thing I want to mention, you, you, you just sort of um, you touched on it when you asked when you said the point about asking why. And I like to ask why sometimes, but. I would be cautious for everybody, myself included, is the idea of casting blame when something happens. Yeah. The, the blame game and finding who the source is of the problem, that's not the issue. And, 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 and pinpointing somebody to blame that that's where the problem is, that will not work. And actually, that to me then grows the fear, grows the what about me. It needs to be recognition that when there is a person there, not blaming that person. 
but just to go and find a way to, like you said before, encourage them, assist in making it better and in doing well. So I just want to make sure, because asking why can be the right question at all, up until you start to then use blame. Exactly. Yeah, it's actually like, it's almost more like why and then get after fixing it really quickly and, totally. and fix it in a way that empowers people rather than labels them and gives them the capacity to recognize their mistakes, change and move on is what builds a great culture compared to blame casting. I'm telling you, my, I know that a lot of people out there have different strengths. Mine is not looking back. I'm okay with making mistakes and errors and whatever, but let's figure it out why and let's correct it together. Uh, ultimately, I think that's what it is. It, it's got to be able to say it's okay that even as the leader that, you know, maybe I made a mistake or maybe I wasn't leading the way I wanted to, as long as you realize that, or as long as your team realizes that you want to do the right thing and that you want to get the input to do the right the next time and you have that conversation. It has to be willing to have that conversation. And if the conversations aren't happening, and I know you've had this happen in your career before because you, you've told me about it, especially as you made your transition, uh, typically is your best approach a one-on-one, -on -one, just go have dialogue with somebody about, you know, encouraging them to share and talk? Or how do, how do you address that? How should how should a leader address that lack of candor and lack of willingness to speak up and share opinions? I think it depends on the, the impetus of the problem, and that is, um, I've had, since I've joined the, the Toyota group here, I've uh, been here now for eight months, sometimes it's one-on-one. -on -one. That gives you a perspective from one person. But a lot of times recently, I've been more listening to one-on a group of people. And I've been, what I mean by that is uh, inside of my, inside of my um, Toyota marketing department, we have nine different, you know, if you want to call them segments or nine different divisions within my department. And sometimes a whole division needs to be called in to have a little powwow so that other people can hear each other speak. And what we do there is we just don't use personal names. We use the outcome or the performance. We just don't talk about it being blamed. And that, to me, has been a, a growth that I've been learning is sometimes it's not the one-on-one because -on -one, you only get the one perspective, but it's the one-on-five or the one-on-eleven. And last week was one-on-33 like 33 or something where a group of 33 got together and were able to really share what kind of things were occurring. And it's not always bad. It's just that there's a potential to be better. And that's the other thing is, Sometimes we look at culture as, well, if something's bad, i got to make wholesale changes. No, sometimes it's just that it needs a small tweak, a small little adjustment makes a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the, but again, those small little adjustments add up into, you know, huge, big situations and scenarios and opportunities. You know, um, I, I think that that has been a good growth, and I and I compliment the Excellent Cultures Group and, and what you guys um, did when we were at Scion. But when you can look at the business, when you're already a pretty high-performing group, and be willing to say we still want to make adjustments, and when you can make one or two that get people just, just a little more confident in, in, in how they're sharing or what they're sharing, it's amazing the amount of difference it can, it can mean in their engagement. And we've seen that at Scion. I appreciate Excellent Cultures. And 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 uh, and what you guys were willing to 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 share with us and to kind of you know collaborate on and I, I just again not everything's a problem sometimes it's just little minor tweaks to enhance something which can go just as far. Yeah. Well, Jack, you know, guys like you were, you know, easy for us to work with because when we got there, we didn't have to convince you that you needed to look at yourself first and be willing to make changes and be transparent. You were already that way. And all we were able to do was basically 
bring some scientific data instruments and some really good coaches to help get the feedback that you were looking for out on the table and then facilitate a conversation and put processes in place that, you know, your folks embraced, grabbed hold of, and made some wonderful things happen with. You know, I appreciate that. And, I, you know, if you want to tie back to back into baseball, it's when you're willing to listen, you know, even if you're Pete Rose or any of the top players today, when they're willing to listen to a coach who sees what they're doing on a daily basis and points out, hey, I'm noticing this about your swing recently or I'm noticing this about your arm angle when you're throwing or whatever, or your base running. What happens is if you, if, you, if you will trust those words, listen to them for the wisdom that's behind it, and then apply them, I'm telling you, nine out of ten times, it makes you the better player. And I think that's our job as, as leaders. We are to be the coach. It's not to wholesale changes of players all the time, which might sometimes you need to trade somebody, but other times it's to make the tweak to that person's you know, bad angle to make it better. And I, I'm trying to do that, trying to do it better. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. And I, the fact that Toyota has, has had the respect and or um, confidence in me, I, I want to return the favor by, by performing for them. Thanks for listening to another great leader who built an excellent culture. Check out excellentcultures.com for the next Achieving Excellent Culture Leadership Workshop and start your journey to best in your industry.